We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you? Shall we start with you this week? Holy (laughs) crap. Honestly, I couldn't even fake this if I tried. I don't know what has happened in the past 24 hours, but shit has hit the fan in my household. And yeah, it's, it's literally everyone's gone down like dominoes. So last night we were recording, we were hosting a virtual event, Sophie and I, and before we went out to do that in the pod, Mia was jumping on the trampoline and was practicing her backflips. Long story short, she came in crying and she's like, I've really hurt my hand. And you know, when your kid hurts themselves, you kind of just don't know if it's a one or a 10 and you just kind of wait and see, you know, ice it, we'll see how it goes. She woke up the next morning Two of her fingers were three times the size. Her knuckles were black and I was just, I felt sick. I was like, imagine if she's broken them. Did she sleep overnight? The poor thing. So she was, when I came back in after we were hosting, I went to move her out of my bed into her bed and her hand was on her chest like she was so protective of it. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So I kind of knew that there was going to be an issue, but I thought they'd just be able to put a splint in and just wrap it around. So anyway, we booked her a doctor's appointment because I really thought it wasn't going to be that big a deal. Like I thought it was just going to be a sprain. What would they do with two fingers anyway? Usually you can't cast them. The poor love goes to hospital. She, we're tag teaming Harry and I with all the kids because while this is happening, Yumi wakes up with a fever. Billy's woken up with a headache. And I'm like, well, there's no point dropping anyone today because everyone's not happy. So we took Mia down to the hospital. And yeah, it turns out that she's broken the knuckles and also the bone in between the other two knuckles. Um, so now she has a cast because it has to be sitting a certain way for those bones to mend correctly. Otherwise they'll end up like Harry's pinky finger. If anyone's seen that, which actually he asked. And if anyone's seen that, we don't, (laughs) we don't want that. Oh yeah. What did the doctor say? So they, they checked it out because he's, he recently had scans and it turns out that most likely it needs amputation. That's the only way. If anyone hasn't seen Harry's finger, it's his pinky and no joke, the top part of it sticks out on like near right angle to the rest yeah, of their finger. It, it's it's horrific. Anyway, the, the funny thing of all of this is that Mia has always wished that she could break a bone so she could have a cast. 
So when she came back this afternoon, I said, babe, your dreams have come true. All you had to do was break all your, all your, fring, all your bones in your, in your hand and now you have a cast and now you can't even write because you're right-handed and that's useless. So congratulations, you don't have to do any work. You're going to need to like wipe her bum and stuff. A kid doesn't know how to wipe their bum with the other hand. She'll have to learn. Ambidextrous. The biggest travesty of this whole thing, though, is, Jade, you are due to get your period. (laughs) Oh, my God. So woe is Jade. Yeah, my nervous system is shot. But anyway... It's all good. It all just hits at one one point and um, we will get through it. How are you? Well, in our usual fashion, I'm great. I feel like the last few weeks <laughs> it's been me complaining about things. I have had a really great week this past week and good. I put some of that down to I think just getting my feelings out into the open and not necessarily having those feelings validated like it's not like I needed external validation but I did just feel like I needed to get them off my chest rather than just spiraling round and round in my brain not quite sure how I was feeling so I think part of me feeling better was getting it out there the other part of me feeling better is I bought a circle of neglect which is an activity center which is one of those things that your baby sits in and they can spin around in it but they've got all different toys around the outside and before anyone slides into my dms I know that there's only a certain amount of time that your baby is allowed to sit in that because it's not the best thing for their hips and all of that I promise it's only buying me enough time to wipe my butt in peace maybe unpack the dishwasher in peace maybe get myself a glass of water all right but it has still made a monumental impact I am not carrying her around all day and we also just bought a couple of other toys that were you know age appropriate for her who knows how long they'll last but I feel like I'm just getting a few moments in the day where I'm not touched where I can just slowly chip away at that never-ending to-do list and I just feel much better for it. I have a rude or fabulous actually and it was from last Tuesday we went to the Carlisle which is where we recorded this episode with Dr Golly because he had the launch of his new baby book and I don't know who I thought I was being you know I have I've carried and birthed three children Like my pelvic floor is okay, but at the end of the day, there's only so good it is after three children. And so we headed, I headed in the car to go to Brisbane. Um, We had to be there for 9.30. So if anyone knows kind of like the distance between where we live to Brisbane at that time in the morning, it's like a two hour drive. And I was super excited because once you're a mum, a two hour car ride on your own and both ways is a dream. Like, I feel like I used to be like, oh, a commute. And now I'm like, if I'm on my own two hours dream, I listen to all these podcasts. Anyway, before I left, I had a smoothie. It was like a 750 mil smoothie. I had it in a jar in my car. I had my bottle of water, which was a liter. And I took a coffee with me and finished that as well. Anyway, I'm looking at my sat-nav because it's telling me where the traffic is and I'm like around Logan area, still 40 minutes from Brisbane and all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, I need a wee. But I'm in this kind of bumper-to-bumper traffic and I'm like, I don't want to get off the motorway because then I'm going to have to get back on. And then I'm like 20 minutes out from the city and I'm like, oh, God, I am really busted. That's okay. We're nearly there. I'm thinking, do I just literally drive into Valet and say, 
park my car for me. I need to wee. Do I go down to the car park? What if I can't find a park? I considered pulling over into one of the smaller city streets, but I just thought, no, you know, you're five minutes from getting there. Just keep going. So I got to the Carlisle. I drove down into the car park. There was heaps of parks, but all of a sudden, you know, when it's like you put your key in the front door and all of a sudden you were able to hold on, but your key's in the front door and you're like, I know that I'm near and I cannot hold on any longer. So I parked my car and I thought, I'm not going to be able to wait for a lift or get up a flight of stairs right now. Like I've been holding on to a lot of wee for a long time. So I'm sitting there in the car park. It's a bit dark, luckily, because it's underground. And I thought, I'm just going to have to do it here. So luckily, I still had my jar that I drank my smoothie out of, 750ml jar. And I just had to take off my bottom half. And this is where it's rude or fabulous. Obviously, you see where this is going. I emptied my entire bladder into the jar and, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I didn't drink anything more because it was nearly up to the rim. I really filled that 750 mils. But I was so impressed. I did not get a drop anywhere, not on my car seat, not on my clothes, my undies, nowhere. All went straight into that jar. And I knew we, you know, we've been having a joke recently about are we besties, Jade? Yes. And when you turned to me and your only concern was whereabouts did you hold that so that you didn't (laughs) spray anywhere? That's when I knew it's not a question any longer. We are besties because that's my girl. (laughs) You did not judge me for pissing in a smoothie jar. I even showed you a picture of the smoothie jar and your only concern was just tell me exactly where you held that to make sure you didn't spray (laughs) it anywhere. (laughs) I do have uh, two things though. One that is rude, rude, rude is that you left your freaking pee in a hot car (laughs) and took it home. Yeah, I didn't pour it out until I got home. And I said, well, where was I meant to put it? I was in a car park. And Nick's like, I think that at some point before you got home, like I was just two-hour drive back home listening to podcasts with my mate P just sitting next to me in the cup holder. (laughs) Second thing, the next day I rock up and she's got (laughs) the freaking jar on her table and she said, don't worry, I've put it in the dishwasher. Twice? <laughs> no. Throw the jar away, Sophie. No way. That's a perfectly good glass jar. Are you from Byron or what? We don't throw out, throw out glass jars around oh, here. Oh, I would throw out That is a good vessel. <laughs> but it is fabulous. It's a fabulous story. And if men can do it, women can do it. And Sophie has proven that she can. So good on you. I'm proud of you. Do you know the funniest part is Nick has actually had to do the exact same thing into one of those jars when he had a smoothie in his car. And so... I sent him a picture and I said, here is just another reason why you and I are made for it. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> hey, and I also just want to let you know that we are both allowed to be happy. So going forward next week, we are both going to be on an upper and watch this space, all right? It's going to flourish. It's going to be absolutely next level. We don't have to be yin and yang. We can both be yang together or we can – actually, you're right, we actually can't 
can't because if we both went down, <laughs> no one would have a podcast next week. So maybe we do need to be yin and yang. Yeah, can you just be down for a little bit? No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I can't. I've done all this work. I can't. No, but this is the thing. I've noticed that and I have had a few little spells of dips of being down and I've really enjoyed them because I'm like, we have to have those moments to feel like I'm setting Sophie free to flourish just for a hot sec. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, babe. I'm doing all of these down, downward spiral, downward dogs for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> Enough giggling about pissing in cups. Um, we're going to get into today's episode now. We chatted with Dr. Golly. He is a pediatrician and we answered all your questions about bubs, poos and spews. It was a glamorous one, but I feel like we learnt so much. I feel like poos are like palm reading, like you can get so much out of them. So we hope you enjoy. Enjoy. Hello, Dr. Golly, and welcome back to the podcast today. Before we get started, if any of our listeners don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. That's me. That's all about me because I've never actually seen you in person. Like, we've never done a podcast in person. How this special is, is this? I know. And we're in a romantic hotel room <laughs> talking about poos and spews. <laughs> who would have thought? We're at the Carlisle talking about poos <laughs> and spews. It's all glamorous around Very here. bizarre. So me, I'm a pediatrician and I specialize in the newborn period and I'm a father of three and I'm very excited to be here. Now, we've spoken a fair bit on the podcast before. We've covered unsettled babies, kids' illnesses. And anyway, so today is poos and spews. We're going to start off with spews, okay? Great. Now, this is a topic (laughs) very close to my heart. I've had two very spewy babies. So to get started, how do we know when baby spew is normal versus abnormal? Very good question. And I think the best way is to get rid of the word spew. Okay. And actually decipher what term we're going to use. Because when you use the word spew, I think you attach to it feelings of the way you feel when you spew. So mm. you've either got gastro or, or hyperemesis or something's wrong, right? But the vast majority of baby chucks, I'm going to use the word chucks, are completely normal. And that's what's important to know. So, for example, possets. That's by far the most common thing that people see and experience and they are absolutely normal. So those are effortless spills of milk. The volume always looks bigger mm. than it is, right? And you know, when it there's there's this thing that happens when liquid touches, especially sheets, it spreads really rapidly. Mm. So we see it in hospital whenever there's a drop of blood or something mm. on a sheet. It looks like a murder scene, <laughs> right? But it's just like a few drops. It's just the way it work, liquid works. So a little spill from a baby that is effortless, that doesn't bother them at all, you don't have to worry about them. That's like it just ends up on your shoulder and you yep. don't really know when it got yep. there or and your hair swings in front of your oh, face and you hair. go, oh, my God, why do I smell like an out-of-date cheese <laughs> shop? <Yeah>. And that's <laughs> why. <laughs> exactly. And that's normal. And as long as your baby is happy and healthy and gaining weight, you have nothing to worry about. In actual fact, it's a good thing because a baby who brings up milk easily is a baby who brings up wind easily. So we call them in the industry, we call them happy spitters. Because although there's always a spill happening, those babies are really settled because they're winding easily. And you almost, if you had to trade off between a baby who spills a bit and a baby who doesn't sleep, you would take the spitter. Absolutely. 
What oh, about the yeah. third one I've Sucks got? About you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so happy spitter, happy chucker. I've heard happy yep. chucker that term. How do we know we have a happy chucker versus something more sinister? So there are conditions that are sort of they can creep up on you. So a baby who is having vomit. So a vomit is a very different thing to a posset. A posset is a spill. It's considered like an overflow. A vomit is the emptying of the entire gastric contents. It's the whole stomach emptying. And a vomit is coupled with other motions and movements that make it very different. It looks different to a posset. So a vomit is associated with retching. A vomit is associated with, you know, with your, your shoulders lifting up. You know, that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. think of a visual of someone vomiting. It mm. looks very different. When you look at a baby posseting, they don't even notice mm. that, that it's happened. So that's what I mean by effortless. Mm. So if you've got a baby who's vomiting, there's a reason for that. And so you need to try to figure out why. If the vomiting is escalating. So there's this word that a lot of parents use called projectile, mm. right? And they'll say, oh, my, my baby projectile spewed. I hear that a lot. And the condition that they are worried about or we are worried about is pyloric stenosis. So that's a condition where the exit to the stomach has become blocked and nothing can go down. So food can enter the stomach, but it can't exit. And these babies vomit, it increases, and they become very, very sick very quickly. So it's a surgical emergency, which means it's on everyone's radar. Everyone's thinking about it, talking about it, aware of it, scared of it, but it's not as common as people think. So when people say to me, my baby projectile vomited, unless it is hitting the wall behind you, that's not projectile. A big chuck that hits the floor, that's a big chuck. And you know, you can let one go. But if it's happening and it's really projecting far, like I'm, I'm talking about meters, and if it's happening increasing and the baby's mm. getting sicker and sicker, uh, flatter and flatter, that's a surgical emergency. Really uncommon, but something that we need to be aware of. Because I was kind of calling Pearl normal, but hers was definitely not a posit. It was definitely a, a chuck. So, but she... I mean, it's hard to know, like, if you're not weighing them all the time, how do you know that they're going along fine? Is she happy? Like, after she does it, she like, meh. Well, she's hungry again. But so often it would happen after that, you know, classic evening cluster feed. And I'd want to pull her off because I'd be like, I know where this is going and this is taking so much energy and time and I know at the end of this you're just going to spew this whole thing up and we're going to start again. So... Yeah, I don't know. Like I felt comfortable in the fact that she was fine, but how do you know that? Great question and there's so much to unpack in that. So the stomach has got muscle in its wall. Now, if you think of any muscle, if you overstretch it, its desire is to come back to its original size. Think of a balloon. So if you blow up a balloon and then let go of the neck, it will shrink back quickly. That's what's happening with Pearl's stomach. So... We've got unsettled behavior, witching hour, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of feeding that happens because you sometimes think, well, what else can I do? You know, she must be hungry. I see it all the time. And so you feed and feed and feed and feed, and then the stomach gets overfull and it recoils back to its original size, which is associated with a, a vomit. So what I would do in that situation is I would look at the reason why that baby's unsettled in the first place and try and unpack that like we've talked about previously. The way to tell if it's something that you should be worried about or not is a much more long-term view where you step back and you say, okay, is this baby happy? Is the baby 
having nice stretches between feeds, not feeding every hour or two, day and night? Is the baby putting on weight? Does the baby have a normal examination? So these are things you know you don't need to call an ambulance for, but you do need to have them looked into and you do need that reassurance that things are traveling in the right direction and this, in fact, is a happy spitter. See, I feel like I dropped the ball on my middle child because she was, she was doing the spit-ups or chucks, whatever they are, but she was miserable. She was crying nonstop. Like I think we spoke about this Mm. in one of the episodes prior and she just, she, after a feed, before a feed, I couldn't work it out. I couldn't settle her down. She only wanted to be upright. So I had her on a carrier. As soon as I leant back with her on me or I popped her down, she would go absolutely ballistic. And I was just at the end of my tether. I literally headbutt a concrete wall standing up because I was so sleep deprived (laughs) that I was waiting for her to cry again. And then I fell asleep and I just literally just went boom. And Harry was like, oh, my God. But don't get up, babe. You're fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll keep, I'll tackle her. But what, like, what could that be? There's so many different reasons that can cause that. You know, anything from eczema that's not well treated and they've got this unscratchable itch that they can't oh, escape because they live in can it. Can we just talk about that? Yeah. I always think, imagine a baby that has an itchy armpit or an itchy foot and all you want, like, do they have that and they just cannot communicate? Absolutely. Please don't say yes. Not only do they have that, they can't localize. So if you have an itchy bite <gasps> on your index finger and you're a baby, you'll wriggle your whole body in the hope that something brushes against it. So they are connected oh, so to those feelings. That's why when they're settled, they Absolutely. literally look like they want to be outside of their skin yes. because they probably do. Like if they have pain or itch, yeah. they just literally want to be outside of their I, skin. Or a mosquito bite. Anything. But also if they're overheated right. or if they're too cold, they can't communicate the way you can. And so we need to be on the lookout for these things. And without question, eczema is like one of the easiest and most under-recognized causes of unsettled behavior. And what are we looking for if it is eczema? Dry skin. And what level of dry skin? Are we looking Look, at like a reddish? Any, you or? shouldn't have any dry skin with a baby. You should just, if you see that, you just start moisturizing straight away. Eczema that's itchy, that's going to really unsettle a baby. It's dry, scaly, cracked. You know, it, it, you can look at it and you just look at that. And, you know, when you sort of get itchy yourself, even oh, though yeah, you're not experiencing it, yeah, you just look at it and think, oh, that's going to be sore and itchy. Is there anything in the spew itself we should be looking out for? Yes. So bile is the big red flag. So bile is pushed out in the gastrointestinal tract to help with uh, absorption. And if there is a blockage, bile should only go one way and that's down. And if there's a blockage, you'll there'll be back pressure and it will come out the top end. And it, it, it's unmistakable when you see bile. It's like this bright green, mm. looks alien-like kind of liquid, like goo. And when you see that, there's just no questions. There's no, that can wait till the morning. There's no, let's see if it happens again. It's really clear what bile is and that needs to be investigated absolutely every time. But on that topic, when for example, if you have hyperemesis and you're vomiting first thing in the morning, mm. people often say, oh, because I hadn't eaten anything yet, I was vomiting up bile. But that's not actually what bile is, is it? Uh, no. Because they'll look quite different. They look different. Yeah. What, what that will be is your stomach's ready for food 
So it starts to push in some stomach acid ready for the food's arrival. That's what stomach, you know, those stomach noises that you hear? That's your, that's when your stomach pushes acid in saying, I'm ready for the food to come and it doesn't come. And so it starts to just get annoy the walls a bit and the muscles groan. That's what those noises are. So in your example, if you're spewing first thing in the morning, there's no food in there. What can you be spewing up? That's all the stomach acid. Yeah, and, and that's more a yellow. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But so it's, it's a common we're looking Yeah, for. it's a common question. Is that bile? Is that not? And um and when you see it, it's like you, you cannot mistake it. It's very clear. And at what age can we just relax on the whole bile if we see it like say my eight-year-old or my four-year-old has gastro and you see bile, is that a concern or do we know, well, you know what, she's probably got a virus and we can wait this out for a few hours versus a baby that is spewing bile? Bile in the vomit will happen as a result of an obstruction so that things cannot move the right way. If you've got gastro, they might be moving the wrong way, but they can go the other way as well. So you won't see the bowel obstruction type of bile from an episode of gastro. Mm -hmm. You might see stomach contents and a bit of yellowy, but again, it's really clear when it's bile and it's clear when it's yellow. Plus, if you have an obstruction, you're in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. It's unmistakable. It's not like a tummy cramp. It's like you can't move so often it's called peritonitis when when the the abdomen is just it's hard as a rock and any movement causes significant pain that's the kind of thing you see in a bowel obstruction so you know one question that we're taught in pediatrics is you know if it's an 8 year old or something and you're examining them you tell them to get up on the bed and if they jump up on the bed <laughs> it's not peritonitis yeah right and if they sit there shaking their head saying i'm not moving there then it's more concerning the terms reflux and colic get thrown around a lot. Is vomiting a sign of either of these? Ah, how long do we have? <laughs> the topic of reflux. I think the problem is one of language. So you've had reflux during when pregnancy. I was pregnant. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone knows what reflux is. It's things going backwards. Okay. So um, also it comes with heartburn too sometimes. Yeah. And it hurts, yeah. right? So when things go backwards, from the stomach up, we call it reflux. We have medicine for it and it works most of the time, hopefully, and that's fine. I think what happened is that people extrapolated and said, well, if something's going backwards in a baby, that's also reflux, and it's not. So gastroesophageal reflux disease, the official you know, technical diagnosis, this is a really significant disease. It happens in babies, but nowhere near as common as people think, like really nowhere near as common. I would diagnose it maybe once every year or two. Oh, wow. Now, you know how many babies I see. Once in every year or two, wow. I'll diagnose it. We're talking babies who are dangerously underweight, who are not gaining weight, who are unsettled, who are vomiting blood, like you cannot mistake gastroesophageal reflux disease, okay? Every baby who possets, which is like literally 98% of babies, <laughs> is then said to have reflux. Mm. And the way you treat adult reflux, well, then you must be able to treat babies the same way because it's the same word, right? And that's where we got into a bit of a, a pickle. And not to lay blame, but the pharmaceutical companies who produce a lot of these medicines, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, you may have heard of omeprazole is one example. They marketed really heavily to GPs because they knew that GPs see 
most of these babies. And so not that long ago, in one year, there was a 400% increase in the prescribing of one particular medicine to babies. Now, there's no way that there's a 400% increase in incidence of a condition that doesn't ever happen. So clearly it's been diagnosed more and it's just become this, like you said, it's synonymous, it's interchangeable. If your baby's not crying, they must have reflux. So then we have this generation of babies who are diagnosed with something that they don't have, who are then treated Mm. for something they don't have. And medication is not without its side effects. But what I think is even worse than that is that a lot of babies who are unsettled, for example, like we talked about, the baby with eczema who's undertreated, who's deeply unsettled, who isn't positing, they go to the doctor and there's no positing. So what do they have? Silent reflux. Now, silent reflux is the bane of my existence because it doesn't exist. It's almost comical. It's not a condition. It's like telling someone that they've got a silent broken arm. It's just, it's broken or it's not. Mm. It's reflux or it's not. There is no such thing as silent reflux. And it's frustrating, but for me, it is so much worse than that because when someone is diagnosed, if their child is diagnosed with silent reflux, that parent stops looking for the problem Mm. and the kid goes on suffering. Whereas if you forget about this silly term of silent reflux, which is an invention of pharmaceutical companies, then you think, hold on, why is this baby unsettled? Have they not been burped adequately? Do they have uncontrolled eczema? Are they intolerant to something in the milk? You really start to look for the problems and that's when you find them, fix them, reverse them, baby's happy. Mm. But if you just hang on to this silly diagnosis of silent reflux, reflux, then the problem just continues and then everyone's unhappy and unsettled. So it's not like we're turning our nose up at the parent. It's more like they've been given that information. That's right. It's it's, not the parent's fault. No. Not at all. And it's also not the GP's fault. I think that there is a massive lack of education that's going on and there's been heavy, heavy, heavy advertising in this space, which is totally wrong and unfair. I don't think it's anyone's fault. Yeah. What I want to do is spread the word and make sure that people understand, ah, I'm not just going to dismiss this as reflux. I'm and not and parents are desperate. Reflux. Like they just are, are looking often, you know, for a diagnosis and to be heard. And I think so much in this space, the parents feel like they go unheard. Yep. So if they get someone to listen to them, uh, you know, to get any diagnosis is almost like, oh, yes, someone's listening to me. So that's that's a real shame. Would most pediatricians say the same thing about silent reflux? Those who work with unsettled babies in the newborn period, they would. Yeah. There was a statement released by the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne that talked about the dangers of this over-prescribing trend. That's where the statistics came from. There's been an amazing study done by um, gastroenterologists at the Children's that showed absolutely no improvement with babies that were started on this medicine. If they had quote-unquote silent reflux. Either. What about legit reflux? Well, legit reflux is a completely different story. Those those kids are diagnosed, treated, respond, great. Yeah. The unsettled babies who were diagnosed with reflux or silent reflux because no one could decipher what was wrong with them, those who were given treatment had no better outcomes than those who were given no treatment at all, which just proves that these conditions don't exist in the vast majority of babies. So 
This isn't my opinion. You can look online at this mission statement from the Children's Hospital. You can see how grossly over uh, diagnosed this is and what's worse, they go into the potential side effect profile of these medicines. And I guess the problem is left undiagnosed and treated as well. I don't say this to scare people. I just, I want people to keep looking. It's awareness. I want people to look for the problem because you can find it. And when you find it and solve it, my God, it's so much better than using a medicine that's not necessary. Yeah. Now, what about vomiting in terms of a bub having intolerances or allergies. So if your bub is vomiting a lot, should you, if you're a breastfeeding mother, start to look at what you're eating? How do those things all interplay? Probably look more into the poo. Intolerances are quite common in babies and it's really important that we separate the word intolerance from allergy. Okay. So people always talk about cow milk protein allergy. It's not. It's a cow milk protein intolerance. So allergy as you know, you can have the tiniest bit of peanut and it triggers your allergy. Intolerance is all about how much you have. Oh. So are you lactose intolerant, Jay? Well, this week I'm actually gluten-free. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> You're not. So you can have milk. I can. Yeah, but I could make you drink enough milk to make you spew. Make a shit So, yes. Yes. <laughs> for example, if I, I'm not gluten intolerant, however, if I eat, you know, a certain amount, my tolerance level, I just get so bloated and I that's feel it. so uncomfortable. Everyone's so got a tol- threshold. Right. Everyone's got a threshold for everything. So I'm gluten intolerant. There you go. The point that needs to be made is that everyone is intolerant to everything if you have enough of it. Mm. So allergy is very different. It's not like if you have three peanuts, you'll have an episode, but if you have half a peanut, you're fine. It's just, it's dose dependent. So if a breastfeeding mother is having the most common culprit is cow's milk, is having a lot of dairy, then their baby may be intolerant to that degree of cow milk protein. And I use the words cow milk protein because we're not talking about lactose. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's so, the difference? So lactose is one protein, uh, one sugar, sorry, in cow milk, but there's so much in cow's milk. There are heaps of proteins and sugars. There's there's lots in there. So going to a lactose-free milk is not going to make a difference. Okay. There's lactose in your breast milk, no matter what you eat or drink. You could literally live on water and you'd still make lactose. If you're making breast milk. If you're making breast milk. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of intolerances to something in mum's diet, the most common culprit is cow's milk then soy and they have about an maybe an 85 percent chance of being the same so i always encourage getting rid of both of them right and because this is dose dependent you don't have to be strict when you're doing the exclusion so you don't have to read labels i just tell my mum's um milk yogurt cheese don't read labels chocolate's okay Mm. okay and usually that's enough and why would we would you do it if you recognize mucus in the poo so not because because uh, whenever I posted pictures of pearls spew all over me, people would go, oh, you should really look at your diet and start excluding things. So if there's mucus in the spew, that probably more suggests like a little bit of a cold. Oh, sorry, not mucus in the spew, just in general when she spewed, people were like, you should have, like, you should try eliminating things from your diet. It can have an impact, not as much as we would like, but sometimes, yes, you can change the formula or change something in mum's diet. I would always go straight to cow's milk or any animal milk and soy, and you can see a change in unsettled behavior. You can see a reduction in chucks. How long? 
like 24 hours? I, there isn't a rule here, but I usually tell mums two days to get out of mm-hmm. your diet, your body, two days after that to get out of baby's body. So don't expect a change immediately, but within a week. All right, Dr. Golly, let's talk about poo, shall we? Oh, please. Okay, I know you've been never asked. I know you've been begging for us to talk about it. So here you are, and here's your moment. As a newborn, over the first few days, the poo goes on a real journey from black, (laughs) sticky mucus, but I'll let you talk us through it. What should we expect over this time? Oh, it's a journey, isn't it? So the first poo that a a baby does typically in the first couple of days of life, sometimes even before they're born, is called meconium. And that's what you refer to as that black, um, it's like Vegemite, it's sticky, it's tarry, it's impossible to wipe, odorless as well. And it's the lining of the gastrointestinal tract. So once the food starts to enter from the top end, although stress can also cause babies to poo, that's why they sometimes do it when they're still Mm. in the womb or in the process of delivery. That's meconium that comes out and then you get what we call a transitional stool. So that's, you know, the first few days of life, whether it's formula or a combination with breast milk or breast milk exclusively, the stool transitions and then you get that, sorry for the visual, but it's like a nutty peanut buttery kind of consistency. And then breastfed babies are almost never constipated. The most common question I get on this topic is, I think my baby's constipated because I haven't pooed for a week. A breastfed baby, it's completely normal for them to poo anywhere from seven times a day to one in every seven days and everything in between. So the question is not how often are they pooing, it's what's coming out and what's the baby doing in the lead up. So if the baby's pooing soft poo once a week, no stress, do not worry about it. If they're really uncomfortable, they're unsettled, they're not sleeping from day three, four, five onwards, if the poo's pellets, then you need to act on that. And also you need to look like we talked about before, look for mucus and blood, which are signs of intolerance and the color matters. So there are three colors we don't like, and I just think of AFL. So think of the (laughs) St. Kilda Football Club. Here we go. All right. No black, red or white. Oh. So those three colors we don't want in poo. And And what happens if we see St Kilda in our poo? (laughs) So so black means blood from high up in the gastrointestinal tract, so it's usually swallowed blood. So it's not necessarily an emergency, but it would be a very common scenario that a baby's got black in their poo, which we call melina, and mum's got very badly damaged nipples. So that's a that, oh, that is a yeah, possible yeah. source. So when you process blood through your gastrointestinal tract, so it doesn't tract, mean it goes your black. baby is bleeding. It may not be their blood. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Do you know when I was breastfeeding Mia, my first child, I called my friend who had babies at the time and I was like, oh, my God, she's vomiting up blood. And she's like, oh, hang on a minute. Are your nipples sore? And I'm like, yeah, they're cracked and bleeding. And she's like, Jane, she's just literally sucking the blood yeah. as well as the milk. And exactly. I was so horrified. But like when I found that out, I was like, okay, that's what it is. But you know, back to poos, it is so satisfying when your newborn baby does a poo. I don't know if it's just like it, it's sweet. The smell is sweet. You don't mind dealing with it. And I'm saying this from going from a newborn poo to a toddler shit. That stinks. <laughs> the weirdest fun fact is Nick, my husband, used to own a coffee roastery and newborn poo smells exactly like 
uh, oh. natural coffee from Ethiopia. And it's this blue, it's like a fermented blueberry smell. And it's so weird because sometimes I'd be like, is there coffee in my car or have I left a dirty <laughs> nappy somewhere in the boot? And you could be like, that's so gross because I love coffee. And I was sniffing it like, which one is it? And I think it is once you've gone to toddlerhood, oh. then you're like, oh, newborn Coming nappies are absolutely fine. fine. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. agree. Okay, so black is there's blood somewhere. Yep, from red. high up. Yep. Red means blood from further down. So, so red, that's them. That's definitely their blood. Yeah. If you're talking about an older kid who's very constipated, it could be a tear mm. at the anal sphincter called a fissure, which you won't miss because it is one of the most painful things in the world. So you'll see it yep. firstly, and when they pass the poo, they will, they will really suffer. Um, is that the same as a um, hemorrhoid? No, no. A, an anal fissure is just a tiny cut because the poo was so big that it literally split. I think I've had that. Hemorrhoids are different, not common in babies, though they can happen. And if there's blood there, it's usually going to be due to an intolerance, like we talked about. The blood is like the severe form of mucus. And you've why? probably had a hemorrhoid too. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> After those three births, I had heaps of those hemorrhoids. Gosh. But And then what about <laughs> white? Yeah, so white's got something to do. Remember we talked about bile before. So um, white's got something to do with absorption issues. So poo should never be white. It can be light colored, especially if baby's having a lot of light colored food like milk, but it shouldn't be white. Okay. So any of those black, red or white, you yes. should get it checked out. Correct. Okay, and then what about frothy poo? Ah, so we talked about lactose before. So a baby who's having too much lactose is getting what we call lactose overload. And I'm being very careful with my words. I'm not saying lactose intolerance because it's not this. It is like we talked about before. I can make you spew if you drink enough milk. Yes, you can. So I can cause you to have lactose overload. And the poo of a baby who's having too much lactose is going to be frothy, explosive, and usually green in color. It's also more acidic, so very commonly associated with diaper rash. Ah, okay. Now, lactose primarily is found in the first part of breast milk. So if it's a breastfed baby, that baby's having usually small, frequent feeds, getting four milk followed by four milk followed by four milk not reaching the hind milk so a really common scenario that i see unsettled baby for whatever reason hasn't been identified yet comes in may even be referred for nappy rash Mm. and then you dig into the history and you find out this baby's feeding every two hours off the breast so this Mm. baby's getting a heavy lactose load and they're having explosive poos they're frothy they're like you know green like green colored and then you can dig into the reason. But all of that stuff is just a manifestation of the real problem. Once you address the problem, i.e. colic, wind, whatever it may be, eczema, all of those downstream problems just disappear. I need to talk to you off mic. I think that- No, talk on mic. Well, I've been saying to Dr. Golly, Pearl's got terrible nappy rash mm-hmm. right now. And she has been having like some like really frequent kind of frothy. It's almost like she'll do a poo and there's like not a lot in the nappy. Like it seems really airy. Yep. And I reckon it's a bit greeny. And how old is she now? Seven months. Yeah. So prime teething time. So okay, when, so you think that's more teething than lactose? Well, it depends how often. Well, you, you I mean, get, I've been hardly having. I've been hardly home. <laughs> no, so 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 because it's for milk. So could this also be from the breastfeeding mother having dairy as well? 
No. No. What's more likely is that she's teething, she's uncomfortable, you're feeding her more frequently to stave off the discomfort, Yeah. you're giving her a lot of for milk, yeah. in addition to hypersalivation because mm. she's teething so she's producing a lot of saliva mm. which makes its way through into the poo and saliva is acidic. So she's got lactose making the poo acidic, she's got saliva making the poo acidic and that's just coming out and burning the skin. Okay, so I don't have to worry about an intolerance. Probably not, not in the absence of mucus or blood. Okay. Speaking of mucus though, what is mucus in poo? Yeah, not many people know what it is. It's really interesting. I'll ask the question often when I see a patient and the response will be, no, there's no mucus. And then I go and examine them and they happen to have filled a nappy and it's right in front of my eyes. Ah. So it's important that people recognize what mucus is. It's literally mucus. It's snot, but in the poo. So it'll come out and be mixed in with the poo. It's not on top. It's mixed in and it's got like a shine to it. It's shiny, gross, and sometimes comes out in like blobs. The easiest way to check if your baby has mucus is to take the dirty nappy, fold it together, Mm. and then open it. And if you get like what I call power lines, just these long strips of mucus, that's mucus. I've seen my dog have mucus in their poo. And so what does mucus mean? So mucus means intolerance to something that's going into the system. And as we said, most common culprit is cow's milk, then soy, all animal milks, and then further down that list, rice, corn, egg, and much further down, gluten. Gosh, poo can just do a lot, oh, can't what's it? What's the, um, it's a real versatile thing. What's the correct thing? terminology for poo? Stool or feces. Or feces. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But it's amazing. You, um, you can tell a lot about a baby. Like I could almost predict what's happening in terms of feeding and Settled, unsettled, just by having a look at the poop. Great, I'll send very, you a picture later tonight. <laughs> it's the most common picture I get from friends and family is just pictures of baby poop because you can really tell a lot. Well, moving on to dark green poo, what do we feel about this one? Green means moving through fast. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. So green is not a sign of disease. It's not a, like the black, red or white. It just means things are moving through quickly. So often if someone's got gastro, their poo will turn green because it's mm. going through fast. The body's trying to get it moving, but it's not a bad thing. And often babies go through a bit of a spinach poo phase. It's kind of like sautéed mm. spinach. It's mm. like greeny, dark green, and it's totally fine. You don't need to worry about that. So you said it's not the number. So don't worry about counting the poos. It's looking at the poos it's if they're breastfed. Is that right? Well, yeah, or they could be intolerant to the formula. So you might need to move to a non-cow's milk formula. But, but like if you were going to say my baby has diarrhea, mm. like how do you say that if if it's complete, it can be completely normal for a baby to poo six times a day? Because the frequency means very little. The consistency is the key. Is the poo coming out like water? Yeah. That's diarrhea. If the poo is coming out and the consistency is like soft serve or peanut butter or something musty, that, that's totally fine. It doesn't matter how often it's happening because everybody has a different metabolism and they process things in different ways. Often also, another common thing I see is the baby who's not burped enough, that baby will fart a lot. Mm. And think of the way a spray can works. So you've got a, a paint supply and then you blow a gas over it and it picks up little bits of paint and sprays out the nozzle. That's how cans work. Babies are no different. So if you're passing an enormous amount of gas through as farts, it will pick up the poo that it goes past and spray out the nappy. That's why a lot of parents will, they'll hear an explosion Mm. and then open the nappy. Oh, 
it's just the spray or it's just the skid. A I hear that too. A shark. Yes. yes. So that's, I wouldn't call that a poo. And then when you ask them again, okay, how many times your baby do a, a real genuine poo? Oh, it's only twice a day as opposed right. to eight. So I wouldn't call a spray a poo. I'd say that baby's not burped enough. Okay, wow. You can tell a lot from poo. (laughs) Now, if we are worried that our bub is constipated, so it's not just that they're going in frequently, but it is hard, what can we do about that? Uh, First, think about what's going in. So there there are surprising things like banana. Banana can be really constipating in some babies, totally not constipating in others. And then... There is always a maturation that happens in the gut. So when you introduce solids, when you introduce a new food type, change to formula, switch the formula, there's going to be an adjustment. And one of those adjustments might be constipation. So it's not necessarily that you need to change what's going in. You might need to soften what's coming out. And you can soften it naturally with a a baby who's on solids might have prune extract or whatever it may be. And sometimes you need to move to what we call aperients, which are laxatives. And, you know, there are lots of different ones on the market, gentle things, just never, ever in kids don't use Senna. That's the one thing. So you've heard of Coloxal and Senna. Mm. Coloxal is a softener. Senna is the stimulant. So Senna is what makes your your colon contract and get things moving, which is totally fine in adults, but in kids, it just causes cramps. Okay. So if you're going to go with Coloxal, make sure it's Coloxal without Senna. Another thing that is helpful to know if anyone is feeding their kids beetroot juice, that it comes out like mm, it looks like blood and you've got to know that it gave me a heart attack when I looked at it. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to take it to the doctor. And then someone said, well, what has she had today? And I was like, oh, she had a juice. And they're like, what colour was it? And I was like, it was, oh. <laughs> and it do- if you don't know that, you're like, yeah. oh, my God. Same thing with blueberries. I was going to say, oh, we've been giving pearl blueberries and we like squish it down, but sh- it, it, they can't really digest the skin. Is that right? That's right. So it comes out as this like black kind of lumpy, weird poo because it's just all the skin in it Yuck. and that I had fed Pearl and then Nick had changed her nappy and that gave him the fright of his life because he's like, what? Like, it looks so wrong. It does. Always consider what's going in, especially if it's a change. Like you said, like a juice, a, a bright red juice that's going to come out and, yeah. and really scare you. So always think about what's going in. And most parents have got a pretty good hold on what's going into their child. Are there any other things we should expect when we are making that transition to solids just to? Just expect change. Yeah. You don't expect constipation, you don't expect diarrhea, you don't expect a skin change, but just expect that some change could happen and it could manifest in, like we said, worsening of eczema. The eczema could disappear. It could mean the positing stops. It could mean sleep improves. Like There's so much that changes when you make that change. So don't fear it because not all the changes are negative, but just be just be aware that change will happen. And change doesn't necessarily mean, oh, like I won't give that again. It Absolutely just could have not. some getting used to. Exactly. Yeah. One, the worst thing that I, I, I hate to see is when solids are commenced, it causes constipation and then someone stops it. So I'm mm. not doing that for another month. So if you start solids and constipation results, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It just takes a little bit of time. And it might be the solids you've chosen need to be changed, but don't stop. What do formula poos look like and how regular should a formula-fed baby poo? So that rule of once a week for breastfed babies or seven times goes out the window when you're talking formula and it's like you. It's like, who knows anything about metabolism, about 
um, how much they take in, how old they are. It just changes and there's so much variety. So I just tell parents, if it's not red, black, white, it can be anything between green to blue uh, to green. Blue? Sorry, wow. green to brown. No blueberries <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, unless you have juice. But it's just green to brown to yellow and everything in between. And if things are getting too hard, like pellets, I don't mean, you know, firming up from liquid. I mean really pellets like rabbit poo. Then you need to think about maybe it's not the right formula right. or think about softening. And because formulas can't advertise, they've generally got clever marketing on the front of them. Is it kind of a, you just find the one that's right for your bub or are there really ones that, you know, are less constipating or are easier to digest or? It's a good question. I don't believe half, 90% of what's written on the tin. The major ingredient is important if you're talking about intolerance. So a cow milk based formula, if it's causing intolerance, move to a rice-based formula or a hydrolyzed one, which is a partially treated cow milk protein formula, definitely those changes are important. But um, even some of the formulas that are rice-based are called um, allergy. And remember, we don't use that word when we're talking Mm. intolerance. So even that is completely wrong, but it's just sort of tugging at the heartstrings. So it's really hard to navigate. The advice that I give parents is find a formula that's easily accessible. Like you don't want something that's obscure that you know, goes missing for six months and you can't get it and you're driving around to a whole bunch of different places at two in the morning. You don't want that. Mm. You just want to get your hands on something that is um that you can you can get, your baby tolerates. And um you realize that the industry is so tightly regulated that there isn't actually a lot of difference from one formula to the other. What about goat milk formula? Acts pretty much the same way as cow's milk. Right. But there's there are some babies that respond better to it and there's no way of knowing other than trying. So sure, there are babies that unset it on cow's milk. And then I've heard mums and dads tell me they moved to goat, no problem. And I've heard more where they've moved to goat and exactly the same story. So it's a bit of a guess and check. It is a guessing game. And I feel like that whole first year, at least the newborn stage, you try all these things and then you're like, did that change work or is she just like, or he has gone through a different period and she's matured or he's matured? You just don't know. It is hard. That's why I encourage changes to happen in isolation and for a few days. You don't change four things. You don't know what it was that made a difference, if it's positive, negative. So if you're going to cycle through formula types or brands, don't make the change too quickly. Yeah. It's got to give it a few days to work. We've mainly focused on poo and spews in babies, but for our toddler parents out there, what should we be looking for in terms of toddlers and their poo? Yeah, so toddlers, uh, it, it's Other more... than finding someone else to change their nappy. <laughs> <laughs> when you get toddler poo, it's more aligned to adult poo in terms of just, you know, it's all about consistency. That's the main focus. The gut is usually mature enough to tolerate anything and everything. All the rules still apply. So if they're intolerant to something, you'll still see it. But I think constipation is the, is the most common problem that people face. Yeah. Why is that? It's common. It's really common, especially before babies are mobile. The best treatment for constipation is a skipping rope. It's just movement, right? Really? Not water? The association between water and constipation is very overstated. Wow. So the, the, there's, I've got a friend who's a, a surgeon at the children's hospital and um, he, he always tells me that people say, you, you know, pediatricians say, you've got to drink more water, got to drink more water. It doesn't actually make a big difference to the poo consistency. Movement is really important. So moving, moving, moving really helps. That's why I don't know. It's bizarre, like 
analogy segue, but you know, when you're, um, if you're at a fun run, mm-hmm. like one kilometer in, there's always portaloos. We've seen, we've seen the videos of the people finishing the marathon yeah. with, um, down the back of their legs. Yeah. Down their legs. Yeah. Oh, nothing moves your bowels like movement. So, so in a baby, that's why like bicycle legs oh, and stuff, does that not, not work? Not Is really. That not, that's more well, just then to how do we exercise our baby? So that's, that's why it's common. So you take a, a one-year-old who's not moving, so it's certainly not moving a lot, even an 18-month-old is not moving a lot, it can be hard. So it's a very, very common problem. The one piece of advice that I would give is get onto it early and don't let it become a problem. So I've got a four-year-old. She has like... I don't really know when she goes to the toilet because she now does it on her own and only sometimes tells me to wipe her bum. So I don't know what's going on the rest of the time. But anyway, <laughs> she has like pebbles. Yeah. And then she'll have a really big solid poo. And sometimes it does that little Mr. Magic and goes, Droo! and one time she said, I'm a, I'm a magician. It <laughs> went, it's gone. So is that t- like, let's talk about the, like where should we be at in terms of concern? There's this, when it's, there's this gorgeous the picture. Bristol the Bristol stool, yes. stool chart. So um, Bristol, the Bristol stool chart is this picture, uh, you know, one, two, three, lists all the different consistencies of poos with a picture Beautiful. and a description. It's gorgeous for the doctor's waiting room. So you basically want a smooth sausage easily passed. Yeah. Okay, you don't want cracks on the surface. Mm-hmm. And you don't want it to be so loose that it's not formed mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So if it's pebbles and it's dry, that's too hard. And it's not, doesn't take much to get to the point of constipation. Mm. Then you get withholding and then you can get fissures like we talked about. It's just bad, 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 bad. And these problems with constipation can last for years. So get onto it early. Prevention is much better than treatment and keep the poo soft. So what is it? What's the answer? Diet number one, two, and three, and be quick to lean on laxatives if you need to. And do you find that having them having a lot of milk when they're older instead of like she likes a milk, right? And mm. a few people on social media are like, oh, she's too old for a milky. I'm like, whatever, you know, if she likes it and keeps quiet. But should she be really lowering that milk intake? And, I mean, I even know the answer. But would, would that change her pebble poos? Yes, it will change it. Will it change it? for the better, I don't know. Mm. So no one knows what the change will be until you make the change and see. Yeah. And just make the change and then watch the poos for the next 48 hours and you'll see. So okay. what are simple things in your diet that you could change if you're wanting to, if you're seeing, you know, slight changes that it's hardening up, so what are things in your diet that will help? Th- things that most will know already, pull back on the processed food, keep it clean, lots of roughage, lots of uh, vegetables, not too much fruit. So toddler's diarrhea is common, way too much fruit going into babies. It's well-intentioned because we'd rather give fruit than you know, a sugary dessert, but too much fruit in toddlers is going to cause a lot of diarrhea when we don't want it to go too soft, of course. So yeah, things that will soften poo naturally are very healthy, mm. but don't be too... I hear a lot of people saying, you know, I don't want to get dependent. I don't want to get my child dependent on laxatives. I don't want to get hooked on them. That, that does not happen. What's far more likely is that if you undertreat it or if you go too soft, if, if you withdraw the laxative too early, you're probably going to end up being on it for longer mm. in the long run. Well, well there you go. Who a lot knew of what you- <laughs> 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 That was great. It was great. 
Oh, who Just in you? time for lunch, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, well, my appetite's gone, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Golly. It's been a pleasure, a pleasure to speak to you about Poo and Spew, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.